Hi, welcome to Clueless Confessions. I'm Jay Balderston, founder and owner of The Grey Consulting. In my more than 15 years in public relations, comms and brand in the global market, I've met some extraordinary people. Driven, creative and brilliant. I've heard many amazing stories of success and of course failure in life and in business and I've learned so much from those around me. So I'm going to share their wisdom, warmth, wit, hysterical and heartbreaking stories. We're all a little clueless, but we can get smarter every day. So hop in, enjoy the ride. And if I come to a stop sign, I'll totally pause. Put a smile on and just get through your week. All right. This was when I realized HR is never on your side. By the way, I think farts are like the funniest thing in the <laughs> fucking world. Trust me, I got this. <laughs> Miranda Kerr twice. Paris Hilton, Michael Bublé. You ever seen anyone drink rosé with a straw before? Hello, my loves, and welcome to Clueless Confessions. I'm Jade Balderston. Well, today's guest is just 29, but she's done some serious shit. She kind of is the shit. Iantha was the beauty director at Australian magazine Marie Claire, but all came crashing down with COVID when she was made redundant for the second time in her career. Today, we chat about how you get yourself out of bed when all you want to do is cry. Plus, her business startup tips, as Iantha said, screw you to COVID. And we can't let her leave without her no-fail beauty advice. Hello, my love, and welcome to Clueless Confessions. Oh, thank you. So why don't you give me a little bit of a, you know, background on what you've been up to, what you do, who you are. Can I go way back? Yeah, you can go back. So Iantha and I, we've known each other for over 10 years Over 10 years, which Mm -hmm. is madness. Yep. So I'm... Uh, definitely moving through my mid-30s now, uh, but you are still in the baby 20s. But it's been, yeah, what, probably since 18 that we've known each yeah, other. Yeah, I think so. we met when we were eight. Well, I was 18. Mm-hmm. Um, I was dating this guy who shall not be named. Um, and it was just so much fun. Like, I just remember going out all the time, getting burgers, getting drunk, going to World Bar. Do you Ooh, remember that on yes. a Wednesday? How much fun that yeah, was? Yeah, I feel like uh, World Bar was... Uh, a very large chunk of very large yes. uh, I think that we Monday to Fridays pretty much was kind of like how it rolled exactly weekends we'd probably chill a little bit more because yeah. we were so exhausted from our week so we met when technically we were at uni yeah. so what were you studying and doing then so I did media communications and journalism with international business at UNSW um, I did that for three and a half or like four years I don't know uni was a bit of a blur and to be honest I wasn't phased about uni I just wanted to get in get out didn't really go to my lectures to be completely honest um, went to my bare minimum classes and all I wanted to do was leave uni and find a job right so I knew from uni I wanted to do you know w- wanted to work in the fashion beauty lifestyle space you know everyone else really wanted to get into hard news or like get on tv and that was just not my jam at all so I did everything I could to get my first internship I remember this was when Twitter was still a thing and I was tweeting all these agencies, you know, I'd love to intern for you. And the only person that came back to me was Trish Nickel Agency. So I did eight weeks with them and it was a hard slog. Like, I'm not going to even lie. It was being in that showroom, putting things on hangers, taking things off hangers, putting it in boxes. Like it was just, you know, I remember standing in that showroom at 
one stage being like, is this what being an adult is actually like and having a job? Uh, so Trish Nickel is actually a public relations agency. Totally. You get thrown in and you're kind of there to sink or you swim, right? And you just have to do it. Put a smile on and just get through your week. I guess at that stage, I didn't really know that I wanted to get into journalism or work in magazines or work on digital. I just wanted to be in fashion, beauty, lifestyle something, right? So being at that agency was honestly such a great experience, so much so that I actually took on um, a part-time job there as well. And I remember the best experiences there, like we did Fashion Week, We that was when they were still looking after Tony Matichewski. Um they had Cartier as the account. So, oh, I remember the days of the, um, you know, the Australian fashion designer, that was out the heyday, I think, for our Fashion Week experiences. Yeah. I was working alongside Jason Bronston, Alex yeah. Perry, Leona. That's it. I'm so grateful for it. Honestly, I had the best time. Um, but maybe I slowly realised that PR wasn't really for me and I just wanted to, you know, branch out and try you know, a few different things. Um, I worked at Max Media Lab at one stage as well. So working in a digital agency was completely different once again. So we looked after, you know, Facebook ads, doing events. You know, they did a little PR as well. Um, I also landed my first magazine internship at the same time. So I worked at Shop Till You Drop. I think I was there for about 13 months and I, I did started your shop days <laughs> yeah. way back. Um, I probably did about two to three days a week, which was insane. But that's where I missed a lot of uni. And at the, in the back of my mind, all I wanted to do was finish and get a job. That was my number one priority. Um, and that ended up paying off. So I remember I finished uni and that month I scored my first job at shop. I was the beauty and lifestyle coordinator. And that was like, wow, I, I have no words to describe that. That was honestly madness. It's kind of coming towards that, pushing towards that end of the real magazine yeah. heyday of yeah. big team. How many people were you working with oh, on that editorial team? 22. And, you know, it was like a substantial team. Like you would have sub-editors, plural. You would have features people, plural. You know, fashion teams of like four or five. In beauty, I think there were two or three. Like it was, you know, a big production and that's why it was so much fun. It was because it was a monthly magazine, but we really took the time to go out and shoot things or research things or interview people. You know, we all really took the time to appreciate these little things. And I actually was there when it moved from being a monthly magazine to a fortnightly magazine, which really blew our minds because we questioned, you know, how does the consumer know when the sale week was? You know, you'll have an on week and an off week. How would they know? And we were so used to the idea of our weeklies coming out on their particular days. Yep. The fashion loving high schooler in me knew that the magazine issue date was different to the date, like the cover mm. date, because I knew that that's how editorial worked. And yeah. it was lots of fun to know that. That was a bit of a, not a spanner in the work, so to speak, but it certainly started to shake things up. Definitely. And also still having to produce that quality of a monthly magazine in a fortnightly format. I've never worked so hard in my life. It was so crazy. But that all came to an end because I actually got made redundant the first time at Bauer and that broke my heart. So how old were you when that first redundancy hit? I think about 24. It's an early stage, isn't I it? Know. And early in your career to mm -hmm. go through something like that. How did that hit you early on? So hard because that was sort of like the point in my life where I was like, look, I'm young enough to keep going and doing something else or I could keep pushing and still work in magazines. 
I'm a firm believer in the universe. So when I got made redundant, the very week after, I actually got a job at Women's Health as beauty assistant. So it was almost like the universe was like, okay, this is your next step. You've got to keep going. I was there for a few months. Um, so this was when Pacific still had Women's Health. Mm-hmm. And so then- you've gone over from ACP yep, over to, to Pacific. Uh, yeah, to Pacific. And then a few months later, I was approached by the carousel and I was there as beauty editor, which was amazing. So that was my first editor, beauty editor position. And carousel was independent. Independent, yeah. So launched by Robin Foister, who was absolutely amazing. Um, And she really gave me freedom in doing whatever I wanted within that beauty space. Um, I went to my first International Fashion Week. I went to New York Fashion Week. I hustled my way over there. Um, I didn't go with a brand. So I, I think I paid for my own flights. Because I was like, you know what? I've got the connections over there. I just want to be over there and absorb it all. And it was amazing. What year are we talking here as well? Because I'm thinking this is also would have been pre-digital boom. 2014, 2015. Yeah, so, so still the early days of mm-hmm. our social media understandings and yep. actions and that with media. Yep. Um, and then right after that, I was part of the launch team to start Beauty Crew back at Pacific. And wow. To work within a big company like Pacific is amazing, but also to launch a completely new brand. So I'm talking, we didn't even have a name. So my first week on the job was actually collecting all the name ideas from everyone at Pacific, putting them in a giant Excel sheet, then having meetings about, you know, what the name should be. So before Beauty Crew, it was actually going to be called Beauty Love, which is completely, has a completely different ring to it, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also when it comes to a new brand, there's absolutely nothing you can work with. So say, for example, when we launch, I think we needed to have 120 articles on the website because when you clicked into every category, so for example, hair, skin, fragrance, you needed to have the page filled with articles. It couldn't just have one article, for example. You needed to have the page filled. And so across all the categories, you needed 120 articles. And on top of that, it's not just about writing 120 articles. I didn't do it alone. I had, we, you know, I was part of a team, but also finding images to go with these articles. How do you resize this image to go with this format? Um, There's so many things that you don't know when it comes to launching a new brand because with any other brand, you go in and there's a style guide. This is how long your header should be. And a digital brand. We're not talking the, you know, the traditional print publication. Mm -hmm. This is a digital platform that you're a part of. Exactly. So, and this was at the, you know, the forefront. So really quickly, let Beauty Crew... What did it like? What did it stand for? What mm-hmm. was Beauty Crew? So our tagline was Australia's number one online beauty destination, and we had the Nielsen numbers every single day coming out to back that. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, we're we're the best. You know, we actually went out to market and said, look at these numbers, look at all our traffic. This is what we're about. I loved being on Beauty Crew because it wasn't just another beauty website. You know, obviously we did news and how tos and videos and Instagram content, but it was actually about the investment into what we did. So say, for example, a huge part of my job was actually shooting content. You know, we didn't use stock images. If we were doing a shoot on, you know, hydrating skincare, we would call all these products in just like how the magazines would. We would shoot it and then, you know, go through a process of editing it and then publishing it on the website. 
So it, there was a lot of care that went into everything from start to finish, which is what I absolutely love. So how old are you at this stage? So oh, beauty crew? 29, 25, 26. Mm-hmm. I was there for four years. And during my time there, I also worked on Virgin Australia Voyeur magazine, which was incredible. Um, and so I, Virgin's are the, um, our Virgin in-flight magazine. Yes, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that was a lot of fun. And then I also weirdly, like the universe would have it, was back on women's health as well, doing, you know, on a freelance basis. And then after that, I knew that Sally Hunwick, who is the beauty director at Marie Claire, she was on her way, she was going to have a kid, she was looking quite pregnant. So I put my hand up for the role and I ended up getting it this year in April. And it was just like a dream come true. It is exactly what I wanted. I was there for four weeks Mm -hmm. and then I got made redundant. So there's a global pandemic happening and one of the largest publishing houses and one of the largest uh, publishing companies made everybody redundant during this time. How did that feel? You know, you're in a position in a pool of hundreds and thousands of people losing their jobs, but then you were also in a marketplace mm-hmm. where you're competing and then going to be, I guess, looking for jobs yeah. alongside your colleagues. So we found out about the potential sale back in around September and October. So it was actually a really long time of like stress and questioning, will we have a job? What's going to happen to our future? What's going to happen to our title? Will we be safe? That was that was the phrase I heard probably every single day from September to April. Will I be safe? Will we be safe? If I'm safe, will you vouch for me? It's it's this really weird mentality because you're still going to work, you're still producing content, you're still shooting, you're still, you know, going to beauty events or whatever it is. And in the back of your mind, you're like, this could all come to an end. How did you, did you, did it affect you and did it affect your performance? In a way, um, probably between September to December, we just tried to push through, you know, we, I think we were meant to hear back from the ACCC in December about whether the sale was approved or not. It was probably the second last or the last day of work that we heard that the sale wouldn't go through. And then I remember being at that Christmas, uh, you know, our fashion beauty Christmas party that night and everyone was wild. You know, that was like the joke of the night, you know. And then I think it was the following year. Sorry, everything's a little bit of a blur this year. Yeah, it was this year that we found out the sale was going to go through. And so it was more uncertainty, you know, more questions of like, will I be safe? It actually got to the point where my body started breaking down and I didn't realise, you know, now looking back, I was like, oh, I was actually under so much stress because you're still having to perform, still having to, you know, put on a smile with clients and go to meetings and, you know, represent your brand. But also in the back of your mind, you're like, I have no idea if I have a job tomorrow. And media has been tough. It's not just in the last six, 12 months Mm. that there's been challenges. It's been an interesting and it's been a really tough run for the last several years. And we've watched this with, you know, new media and digital and the digital platforms. And it's that finding that balance, you know, we've watched magazines disappear. Even going to Marie Claire, I knew um, it was still a really strong title. So I sort of- Numbers are great. There shouldn't be any any issue. Exactly. So it really took me by surprise when in April- um, everyone started getting one-on-one meetings with, I think, the CEO and the person from HR and then someone from Ernst & Young. And um, everyone sort of knows what those meetings are about, you know. It's not. It's definitely not about performance. It's definitely not about, hey, you're going to get a pay rise. Or, hey, pat on the back, you're doing so well, you know. Well done at being number yeah. one again. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple weeks and months yeah. in a row. So I sort of saw it coming. And then we had a week of sort of like wrapping up what you were doing and then you finished um, 
So I found out on the Monday, then the following Monday was my last day. It was honestly a blur. This was when I realized HR is never on your side. You know, you go into that meeting and it's like, it's it's totally off a script. It wasn't on Zoom or anything. It was on phone. Hello, this is so-and-so from wherever. Um, are you, you know, we're just going to have a chat uh, due to, you know, COVID and everything that's going on. You know, we're letting you know that your position is made redundant. And I was like, oh, just letting you know that I'm at Marie Claire. Like I'm not at Beauty Crew. And they were like, oh, really? I was like, do you, do you want to check that before you let me know that I'm made redundant? When we had a, when we had a chat about this, um, I could not believe that you could be sitting in a professional environment <laughs> and, and space and have somebody not actually know what your role was exactly. and where you were. Yeah. This was the start of the pandemic as well. So we were all working from home. That's why it was on the phone and not in person. And so I said to her, you know, I'm, I'm at Marie Claire. I'm not a beauty crew. And she was like, oh, let me just check that. And I was like, I, I need you to check this because on my contract, when it says that I finish, you know, covering the matte cover for Marie Claire, my role goes back to beauty crew. So I, I, am I being made redundant from Marie Claire or am I being made redundant from beauty crew, you know? And they're like, oh, we'll come back to you. And I was like, this is bizarre, you know? I, I, I understand from their point of view, they've got hundreds of people to get through, but it, when you're being made redundant, that's when you feel you're like, people don't actually care. No one cares how hard you work. No one cares if you come in at 8.30 instead of 9 o'clock. No one cares if you stay back at work. Literally no one cares. I could have spent the last four years at Beauty Crew writing one story a week, you know, doing the absolute bare minimum, taking all my sick leave and I'd still be fine. It's interesting, isn't it, when you get to that that part in life where you truly do realise <laughs> that everyone is replaceable. And Absolutely. That it is, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I've been in those positions where it's, I've worked so hard and felt like I impacted so incredibly much <laughs> that they just couldn't do this without me. Like there's no way in hell this shit is going to fly when I'm not here. <laughs> and then they're still like kind of successful and it's like, oh, okay, well I thought I was incredibly important. But just to sort of like tap into that, as a business owner now, Yes, there are people that actually can't ever be replaced. And I need to say that too. Then we go through the experiences where you're literally just a number. Yeah. You know, you're part of that timetable, part of that schedule rolling out. Mm, It was just convenient for them Mm -hmm. that it was COVID and, you know, all of us needed to be made redundant because teams were merging. So it it makes sense from a top level point of view, but it still hurts. Was it hard to go in and do the week that last week? Oh, I guess you would have been working at home at yeah, that stage. Yeah, so it's really lonely and you're also doing farewells on Zoom. And it's that was when – so at the start of the pandemic, how drunk everyone was. That was a – I think like we were on Zoom all the time and I think within Marie Claire – I think four or five people got made redundant and people who had been there for decades, like I'm talking 22 years, you know, not like someone like me who'd been there for four weeks. So to them, that was their world. That's really hard for them. The day you wake up of no longer being at work and you have now officially been made (laughs) redundant for the second time in your 20s (laughs) during a global pandemic, how did you feel? What did you do? Obviously, there were a few tears or a few days of crying and, you know, touching base with your old teammates and going for walks with people. But I surprisingly wasn't hit too hard. I don't know whether it's because I've been made redundant before and I know it's not personal. It's not like, Iantha, you're doing a shit job, so you lose your job. It's like 
everyone got made redundant. It's a pandemic. The industry is changing. There was a merger. You know, there's so many things where it's out of my control and maybe I'm not going to say I found myself over the last couple of years. That's not what I'm trying to say, but it's more like I believe everyone is on their path. My path is that I'm not meant to be there anymore. So I just have to roll with it. I just have to, you know, wake up and do my own thing and find my own happiness again. That can also be hard because I was in that beauty bubble for so long. It really gets to, maybe it gets to your head, you know, you think, oh, I'm the beauty editor of Beauty Crew. I'm the beauty director of Marie Claire. You are in that world and you're on that hamster wheel day in, day out. You wake up and that's the persona that you are. And when you're not, you sort of question who you are and what you're about. Um, The emails from PRs obviously drop off over time. The packages drop off over time as well and that's, you know, a given. So it's almost finding out what makes you happy again. So I picked up golf um, last year. So I played a lot of golf when I was made redundant. Yeah, and um, what else did I do? Went for a lot of walks. I am someone who loves a project though. So I needed to figure out what my next path was. So my best friend and I, you know, sat down after many glasses of wine and we sort of were like, you know what, you should just launch a business, right? There are so many of me out there, people who know how to write beauty, people who are in the industry, can shoot, can write, can do strategy, can do social, all these things, right? How do I set myself apart from others? So I launched a business called Pick Studio and that's off the back of noticing how big e-commerce is now and how much bigger it is only going to get after a pandemic. So I knew that e-commerce was a space I wanted to work in. I knew that um, I could style and I had great relationships with a lot of photographers and we could you know, produce really beautiful e-commerce images. Um, also, you know, doing a bit of research in the industry Content creation is like the new buzzword. I don't know what has happened, but in the last year or two, suddenly everyone is not an influencer, but there's a, they're a content creator, right? I almost like have a small like, like little like, oh, fuck You're me so moment well. when I hear it, like kind of like pivot, content creation. Pivot, yes. Yeah. <laughs> influencer did it to me for ages. Yeah. And then I started using key opinion leader because it felt so much <laughs> yeah. nicer. But yeah. now it's sort of all merged again content creation is not I think what people actually think it is no absolutely not and I wanted to just go back to basics you know everyone needs a product shot against a white background we're not talking tricky styling shooting it in a puddle or in a shower or anything like that literally just a product against a white background and if I could do that well that's all I wanted to do and we call those like from the in the industry Mm -hmm. they're uh flat lay ghost I also realised that I needed to keep Pick Studio quite fluid. So I don't know whether it's a mistake on my behalf that it's called Pick Studio, like Picture Studio. I don't know. Look, it's too late to go back now. But I am also doing a bit of, you know, campaign imagery, um, creating images for Instagram posts, um, doing a bit of copywriting, doing a bit of strategy, social media management. Um, I'm also teaming up with my best friend who has launched a 3PL company, which is third party logistics. And what happens is that say if you're a new brand and you're sick of sending out parcels every single morning and dropping it off to the post office you can go through her company and she'll do the picking and packing for you and send it off and it's just so brainless like it's just it's incredible this is this is the way of the future and the best piece of advice that Jen gave me or one of is that she was saying don't invest a lot 
in your launch. You know, you could you could think that Pix Studio is the best idea because part of what Pix Studio is, other than creating really engaging visual assets, we try and make them really easy for people to download. So, you know, on one side, you know, you might come to me and say, hey, I need this mascara shot. We would go off and shoot it. Then we would upload the image on Pix Studio. That way you can access it. The client can ad- access it. And then also journalists or e-commerce managers can go and access it themselves as well. Cutting out the middle person or the middle process of me, you know, I remember being a journalist and saying to you, hi, um, can I please get a high-res image of this shampoo and then waiting sometimes two days to get it back because you're stuck in a meeting. You lose the email. You've deleted it by accident. I was just thinking to myself, why is it 2020 and I'm still manually asking someone for a high-res image and then that person is still manually attaching it to an email or sending me a Dropbox link with that image? Isn't that bizarre? You've clearly hit the nail on the head because it's been something that we're using. Do you know what I mean? Straight up. So. And it goes back to what I was saying before, you know, uh, it's not every brand needs a styled up image or campaign imagery, but absolutely every single brand needs product photography. And some brands are hard to shoot. I had you shoot eyelashes for me. (laughs) I love a challenge. (laughs) Even we weren't quite sure how that should all be set up. I was like, trust me, I got this. (laughs) Let's get into business. And how exactly do you start and kick off a business? So I remember when I was first launching Pick Studio, I built my website on Wix and this was off Jen's recommendation. You know, she was like, I've used Wix before. It's the cheapest out there. I like, you know, beautifully designed websites. And so I ended up moving my website to Squarespace and it ended up being a lot better because I could use templates that they had already built and I could just plug in my images and words and everything like that. I've probably spent under... $2,000 on my website and that was before my first paying customer. You know, I I so could have easily gotten someone to design my website with all the functions that I'm talking about, with all the bells and whistles, filters, everything, search bar. That would have – I actually did get a quote for it. He quoted me $5,000 to $15,000 and Jen was like, you are nuts. You are crazy for even thinking that you should do that. Pay as little as possible. Get a Squarespace, you know – annual subscription, try it out there, see if there's a thirst for what you're offering and then go from there. What happens next? So I was like, okay, cool. I'm twiddling my thumbs. You know, when's my first customer going to come in? You know, but I reminded myself that the last that people had heard about me was that I was made redundant. I was this, I was acting beauty director on Marie Claire. I was made redundant. What else? So unless people knew what I was doing, they wouldn't know how to help me or invest in me or, you know, be my first customer. So I spent weeks and I still do it now. I emailed probably two to 300 people, hit people up on LinkedIn, um, emailed people like, you know. I was on your, I was on your list. I remember. And it was exactly like our media updates are. It came through. This is what I'm up to. Yeah. And exactly what we need to know right now in terms of where the, you know, the marketplace was sitting. And I looked back to maybe like four years from when Beauty Crew started, all the people that I worked with, all the brand managers, brand founders, marketing directors, every single person that I've ever worked with found their email address by hectic Googling, emailed them and was like, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm offering. The hardest thing is actually out of, say, the 300 people that you email, say 100 people get back to you and the other 200 just don't get back to you. And you know what? Hey, what a cut through. Hang on. But what I learned was that when you don't get an answer, it's not a no. 
Because when you get an answer, when people are like, oh, thanks, great, we'll keep you in mind, they're getting like tens of thousands of these emails a day. They're already deleting you out of their brain. But the people who don't reply will come back to you. And I'm still getting people coming back to me within like, you know, two months after me emailing them the first time. They've said, hey, so sorry, I never got back to you in the beginning. I was just thinking about how we could work together. And I finally found a way for us to work together. How about you come in for a meeting? How about we do a Zoom? How about you take on this project? And that's something that I've realized that happens in media. Yeah, when you don't hear back, it's not a no and that's a good thing. Is there something in particular that, you know, grabs Mm. you with what it is Mm. that, you know, in this industry and what you're doing? I love a good story and not in the way that I like pulling together a story, but interviewing founders, researching ingredients, actually learning about the nitty gritty of why a product was launched and why a brand came to fruition is the most inspiring thing. So I... I I remember interviewing Bobby Brown a couple of years ago um, at New York Fashion Week, actually, that time that I was talking about. And I remember being so starstruck. Like everyone, I remember it was probably like five or six journalists around her and everyone just had their phones up next to her mouth and everyone's like waiting for her to talk about like, oh, you know, the the show inspiration and this is why we use this colour lipstick, you know, and we were all like waiting for her to start. And she looks around and she's tiny. I think she's like five foot, tiny, tiny human. And she was like, well, is anyone going to ask me, you know, a question? And we're like, oh my God, oh my God. So um, tell me about the inspiration about this. Or, and it's it's that sort of intimacy of being in a space with someone and asking, hey, why did you do this? Why did you pick this sort of shimmer? Why did you design this with this sort of lid? And they'll tell you. Yeah, there's been, an, like you will have done from covers to mm. interviews and Miranda Kerr twice. Paris Hilton, Michael Bublé. Oh, my God, the list goes on. And so the most starstruck person you've ever been around? Rosie Huntington-Whiteley. Okay. Oh, my God, I met her last year. And I don't really get nervous or, like, jittery in front of people. Like, I can pretty much hold a conversation. When I saw her, I was like, oh, my God, like, what planet am I on? She's so beautiful. And not just that, she's kind. She speaks really well. She's super elegant. You know, everything about her was just so polished, like her mani, her shoes, like there was not a single scuff, you know, her white dress was just flawless. You know, you're like, how is anyone like this? How is it humanly possible to be so perfect? You also know that Rosie, you know, wasn't stuck in an office all day. She sort of could probably have a sleep in. Then she could get her hair done. Then she had a professional makeup team to come and do her face. Like, you you get it. But I often like think, with so much money, we could imagine what we would look like. I would get a personal trainer and train three hours a day. Oh, I'd get a blow dry every single morning <laughs> without fail. Blow dry. Oh, love it. This is like really sideways. There was a hairdresser years and years ago who did a video where the way that he like engaged with his partner like his female partner really closely was he did her hair every single morning before she went to work so he was a hairdresser but he worked long hours doing like editorials and stuff and um yeah every morning their their morning together and their moments were him actually doing her hair she had like amazing hair every single I'd expect that if my partner was a hairdresser that I would get a blow dry every morning back in the day I was thinking that maybe I just like a flatmate that did that but then when my girlfriend who is a hairdresser was like mm. there is no way in hell I'd get up before work yeah, and blow dry your, your hair before I went <laughs> sorry <laughs> that was my metal straw <laughs> sign so break cool. straw you ever seen anyone drink rosé with a straw before <laughs> now I have 
So, as a wonderful, successful woman who is has launched her own business, um, what would be your top three tips to anyone who's looking to start their own business? Oh, okay. I think the first one is ask for help. So, let people know that this is what you're doing, this is what you're thinking, and so many people will turn around and be like, oh my God, I'm going to connect you with so-and-so. Hey, I've got a really good idea. Why don't you use this platform or whatever it is? And off the back of that, you might find an unexpected mentor, which I think is hugely beneficial when it comes to launching a business because that way they can sort of hold your hand through a few things. They can give you really good advice and that's really valuable when it comes to launching a business. Um, Another thing is maybe don't invest a whole lot of money into it. Um, For me, I, yeah, I invested probably about $2,000 into my website and getting a domain name and, you know, just little bits and pieces because the more money you spend, the more money you have to make to try and recoup that loss and then you have to make a profit. So whereas when you're, you know, things don't really have to be complicated. It's 2020. Launching a website is pretty easy. There's heaps of templates out there. There's Squarespace, Shopify, Wix. There's so many platforms. WordPress. In 2020, someone has done it before. So just Google it, copy what they've done, tweak it and run with it. I was just about to say, I'm pretty sure there's a YouTube video for almost everything. Remember how you asked me before, was it like, do you see yourself doing this? Like, is Pix Studio your new thing? And I mm-hmm. said to you, nothing is forever. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be doing Pix Studio in the next three months. That was part of why I wanted to push Pix Studio so hard because, you know, I needed to give it 150%. And if it failed, then great, I'll move on. But I can't keep living my life doing something at 80% and for it to maybe be mediocre. I'm not saying that Pix Studio is this amazing thing at the moment, but it is, you know, getting recognition and I am, you know, working with great clients. But I have to give everything 150% because why waste anyone's time? Why waste my own resources or putting money into something that won't actually take off? Do you do that in all aspects of life? I think so. Life is so short. You know, I'm I'm 30 in March and I don't think 30 is old, don't get me wrong. But I look- When I was 21, I thought 30 was so yeah. old. But looking back, I'm like, holy shit, like- my 20s are done and I had the best fun. I met the greatest people, had the best experiences. But that's a chapter of my life that's gone and life isn't going to get any longer from here. You've just got to keep, you know, keep going and going as fast as you can and lapping it all up. Have there been any personal challenges, life challenges, anything you've experienced? Oh, okay. This is in two parts. So my first one is once again, listen to your body. So when I was going through that first lot of redundancy, like around, um, you know, when we were told about the news in October and then it wasn't until, you know, early 2020 where we were figuring out when we were safe or whatever it was, I ended up getting sciatica in my left butt. And that went on for like three months and I couldn't figure out why I was getting it. Like I'm, I'm pretty active sciatica. It's like a pinched nerve to the point where you have trouble sitting, you have trouble walking. Like it's, you know what nerve pain is like, it's, it's bad, it hurts. And it wasn't like, you know, I pulled a muscle or anything. It's just that one day I was sort of getting a bit of pain and then, then it gradually got to the point where I couldn't walk and I started seeing a physio. And that went on for three months and it was so stressful because, you you know, sciatica in your butt, it affects how you sit, it affects how you sleep. You can't roll over in bed. Yeah. Like that's how painful it is. And so eventually after three months of going to physio, that sort of went away and I got it again. I got it for about four weeks this time and I ended up seeing a Cairo who I've been seeing for the last 10 years and he also specialises in kinesiology. And what that is is basically – 
like, you know, trapped emotions, long story short, trapped emotions in your nervous system, you know, linking back to past trauma. And we had a big chat about it. And both times that I got sciatica this year were reflective of really stressful times in my life. So the first one being, you know, the, the maybe redundancy happening. And then the second time was launching my business. And he was, you know, he's quite spiritual. <laughs> I love him. and That's probably why I keep going back to him. He was saying that sciatica is basically metaphoric for people slowing down, that you really need to take one step at a time. You really need to look at your body, listen to your body and work on yourself before you can do big things. So this is your body basically saying, slow the fuck down. Yeah. Like you're going too nuts. Like you need to start sleeping. You need to stop drinking so much. You need to start looking after your body. You may, Maybe you need to stop working so hard, which is like, which goes against every single fiber in my body, you know, but that was one of the biggest learnings that I really needed to listen to my body. And, you know, like I was saying before, some days, you know, on a Monday morning, instead of looking at my emails, I'll just take myself to a park or I might block out two hours and just play golf and, you know, not look at my phone and not be stressed. Or some days I might feel like staying in on a Friday night and turning my phone off and not talking to a single person because that's what I need. Do you ever just lay in bed and go, I'm just not going to get up early today yep. on a work day and I'm just going to like take this moment? And Yeah, that was yesterday morning and I didn't get out of bed until probably 10 o'clock. And some, day, some days you literally can't get out of bed and you're like, you know what, I'm just going <laughs> to – I've discovered Nelly on Dancing with the Stars and that's my new favourite thing to watch on YouTube. Trying to watch this 40-year-old rapper dance on Dancing with the, on Dancing with the Stars is my new favourite thing. And that's sometimes all I need is just lying in bed and watching these silly YouTube videos. Oh, yeah, see, I'm a Real Housewives lover. <laughs> uh, therefore, I find it's my Phil, – Phil, like he always says to me – I can't believe you can watch a bunch of women screaming at each other and it's so relaxing. Same. I feel so normal. Yeah. It's so fine. Yeah. But I get – and do you feel guilty doing – like having – Sometimes because part of me is like, look, everyone's only got 24 hours in a day and it really reflects how hard you work in those 24 hours. But other, other sides of me, I'm like, I'm just going to burn myself out and I – when I'm looking at, you know, when I've got my own business, I can't burn out. This is me. So I have to really look after myself. And there are those moments where you go, oh, I worked on Saturday night. So mm-hmm. it's it okay makes up for it. Yeah. Yeah. Another learning that I had was never take anyone's word until it is absolutely set in stone. Interesting. So I know when you launch a new business or w- whenever you go into a new part of your life, people will always come through being like, oh my God, I'm going to help you with this. Oh my God, I'm going to I'm gonna give you this business or oh my God, I'm going to give you this role. So, you know, wait until this month and, we, you know, you'll have, you'll have the new position. But so many times, oh, I wouldn't say so many, a few times that I've actually trusted people and was like, okay, like I've, you know, you're promising me this amazing dream role and I've quit my job and then I'm about to start here and they're like, oh no, sorry, we picked someone else. And, you know, it's because I didn't sign a contract or, you know, never actually believe anyone until you get a contract, until you get an email saying confirmed, not like, hey, you know, it's, we're almost there. Like that's not confirmed. Confirmed is when you see the words a hundred percent through or yep, let's go ahead or whatever it is. So don't trust people. So, and I'm a completely non-ashamed, absolute beauty fiend and lover over here. What are some of your top beauty tips? I love this sort of stuff. (laughs) I'm all about investment and that doesn't have to mean buying the most expensive cream or serum. It can be investment in time. It can be investment in, you know, having a proper routine. But when it comes to having like really good skin and hair, you really need to look after it. So having, for example, with your skin, having a routine, you know, 
double cleansing, then using serums, then using a cream, having that consistency is really important. You know, obviously there are days or nights, you know, late nights when you come home and all you want to do is just use a makeup wipe and take off all your makeup and that's fine once in a while. But, you know, making sure that you're on top of a good routine is really important. For me, being an artificial blonde, I, you know, my hair can get quite dry. You know, I've been blonde for about six, five or six years now, I think. And I use a mask every time I wash my hair. So I never use conditioner. I just don't think it's strong enough for my hair. Mm. My hair needs a lot of moisture as much as possible. So I always just use a mask and I leave that on for, you know, three to five minutes in the shower, you know, do everything else like wash my body, wash my face, you know, shave my legs and then go back to washing the condition or the mask out and I'm good to go. Always blows my mind when someone will be getting these thousands of dollars worth of facial yeah. treatments and then be like, what's the cheapest moisturiser that I can find from the supermarket? <laughs> and I'm like, no, not do the not, place to be cheapy. No, like, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> outside of all the beauty stuff and outside of all the work, what do you love? What's your thing? I love food. Like I'm a bit of a fatty at heart. Like people, I, I know I post a lot of, food content on my Instagram and I get a lot of DMs about it like where should I eat or where can I I had the other day where can I book a table for six on Saturday night from eight o'clock I'm like I don't know like try and google that like (laughs) were you like actually off the top of my head here's like (laughs) I'm like what suburb are you after what area are we talking about no what cuisine are you looking for yeah I love food like food is something to me that you know how some people are just happy eating like corn thins and you know obviously there's a time and a place for that sort of stuff but I love indulging and a good dinner, good wine, good company. Like that is my way of unwinding. Favourite beverage? Wine. Um, If it's cocktail, I like Palomas. Mm -hmm. What's a Paloma? Paloma is grapefruit and tequila. It's almost like a margarita but like more fun. Oh, I love a margi. Yeah, I love a margi too. Clueless Confessions Mm -hmm. is obviously a place where we kind of like look at our biggest learnings or successes. Mm -hmm. What's yours? For me, looking at the last 10 years of my career, I didn't really prioritise my mental health until I didn't start seeing my psych until two years ago. Ooh, we haven't even like tapped into about the fact that you see your site. I had one who once said that Zoloft should be in the water and that it should basically just be a prereq that everybody has a therapist to speak to in general because we kind of need that in life. It's yeah. life's pretty tough. So it's pretty hard. So you, how long have you been seeing yours for? Um, two years now. I was seeing him probably every month and now this year I've only seen him like once every three months or so. I've only seen him about twice or if that, this year. Was it something you chose to do or was it recommended for you to do? I was on the brink of breaking down. I was – I came out of a really nasty relationship and it really showed me how much I didn't love myself Mm -hmm. and how much trauma that was built up over the years and I just needed to address it. And it was hard because you – need to shop around for a therapist you don't realize it you just think okay I'm just going to make an appointment like a dentist appointment and you go in and you 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 know I'm so glad that you say this yes yes I hang my hat on that conversation 100% I'd never thought to see a male psychologist Mm. and I was like I'll give it a go because the first two that I trialed from my GP were female and I was like well that didn't work out so maybe it's I also love that it was a friend who recommended because I think that it can be such a taboo Mm. thing to talk about and you need sometimes some recommendations just like you would great food or, you know, a great hairdresser or something. There are certain 
therapists and that that are going to be positioned in exactly. different areas. And I really like my guy because he's so, I think he's like 40. I don't really know. I don't think they're allowed to tell you much about their life, but he's really casual. Like he really gets it. It's not like being in a stuffy room, sitting on a lounge and someone, you know, quizzing you about, you know, so tell me about your feelings. You know, it's really like a casual conversation. And most of the time we're like, oh my God, look at the time. We have to go. We have to wrap things up. Um, and it wasn't just, you know, talking about my terrible relationship, but it was also um, rewinding and looking back at like my relationship with, you know, previous boyfriends. You know, it we talked about, you know, when I was first coming into the industry the critique that I got and how much I still hang on to it. Even now, like t- 10 years on from when I first started working, I'm still hanging on to critique that I heard all those years back. You know, I remember one person sat me down and told me, your writing is terrible. You can't write. I don't know how to help you. And even to this day, whenever I'm writing anything, I'm questioning myself. Uh, does this sentence make sense? That's the conditioning. That's and, the conditioning. Yeah, and yeah. it's undoing all of that trauma and believing in yourself and you know unless you're selling yourself why would anyone else believe you are the best at something right so I'm, I'm not saying that with pic studio I'm the best at doing photography or styling or anything like that but unless I'm telling people that this is what I'm confident in what I'm doing why would anyone pay me and not someone else who does content creation, It's right? a challenge though, isn't it? As yeah. a publicist, I know for a fact that the hardest thing most of my clients have doing is writing about themselves. Yeah. So a whole, a big part of that journey was just relearning who I was and not what I'd been pushed to be in the last couple of years. Undoing, the you know, for example, people aren't always going to be happy for you when you're doing really well in life, you know? And it's not until you're going through your hardest times that you realize who your real friends are because they're the ones who are actually going to come through being like, hey, I'm going to help you. Hey, let's catch up. Hey, let's go for a walk, you know, that sort of thing. So it's just rewiring yourself over the last couple of years. It's amazing, isn't it, when you actually say out loud, hey, this is what I am. This is what I'm doing. Anyone want to be involved or got a hand? It's amazing what actually comes out of the woodwork. But we forget to ask, I think, sometimes. And then we wonder why there aren't people around us, but we may not have shouted out very loud. Mm, For sure. So whirlwind of years Mm. and but unbelievable successes so far in the early, early stages. And I just need to remind you, you got many more mountains to climb, I'll tell you oh, that much. Oh, I don't know if I'm up for that. Oh, you got this, babe. Don't even worry about it. It's been so hard already. <laughs> oh, oh, fuck, I feel the same. Don't worry, you got this. I can't wait to see what you're doing next. Oh, and and I you. can't wait to be a part of this journey with you. And oh, I'm so like, journey is such a shit <laughs> word, but God, it just, it runs so tight and hard Definitely. to this, I think. So, yeah. you know, so let's do a big old cheese with our vinos. Cheers. Cheers, my girl. So proud of you. And thank you so incredibly much for joining me on Clueless Confessions today. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, my beauty. 